It's good to be with you on this rainy winter's morning. Good to be together. Good to worship. We start the new year together. Uh, This morning, we're going to dip our toes back into Romans, where we left off, although I may use this morning's sermon as a to take a short excursus over the next few weeks on the topic that is raised this morning in the text, which is that the world needs beautiful feet. Uh, the world needs beautiful feet, that is your feet. Uh, so this morning the conversation is about the, the beauty of the feet who bring good news. We're in Romans chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 13 and read through the end of the chapter in verse 21. Here then the Word of God. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Well, indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their works to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? Well, first Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. And I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered again this morning as your church to worship you, to lift our eyes to you. Father, we want to know you and to love you. And so would you speak to us this morning? Would you open your word in power to us? Would you speak it to each heart by your spirit? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that it may capture our imaginations, that it would capture our hearts and our minds, and that it would uh, work in us to be beautiful feet in our families and in our workplaces, in our schools, in our community. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Romans is a missionary letter. Jesus had said that He was sent to seek and to save that which is lost. He was sent to find the lost. We hear of the prodigal that He was the son that had been lost, but then had been found. We just saying about it, I think. It's a helpful way of looking at things, this idea of being lost. It's one of the different ways the Scripture thinks about those who don't know Christ, who have not received the truth, the light that is in the Gospel. And we see it all around us, at least for me, it is a helpful way as I see people in all walks of life. I don't know about you, we, we, we see the people around us who don't know Christ. Sometimes even just in Walmart, you see A parent dealing with a child in a way that my heart says, they need Jesus, right? And you see in so many ways in the people that we love that don't know Him, they just seem so lost. We see it in our culture and they think in the bigger picture, the racial tensions where 
People are posturing group against group and it feels like we're getting more divided and not less. And think, what is going to solve all of this? What is going to melt our hearts? What is going to bring us back together? And I think only Jesus. We are lost. We're looking for our hope and our unity and everything else in all the wrong places. In the politics of the day, people think this system or that system will save us or this person or that person is what we really need to save us and we get caught up putting our hope in things when as we look at our neighbors and our co-workers and our family members and our culture, really they're lost. They need Jesus. But how will people who really need Jesus come to know Him? How are they going to come to know Him? How, how are they going to hear about Him so that they can trust Him and have their lives transformed and their families transformed and ultimately as houses and homes are transformed, our communities and our countries are transformed? How are people going to come to know Him? This is the issue in this passage this morning. How are they going to call on Jesus if they don't believe in Him? And how are they going to believe in Him if they haven't heard about Him? Romans is a missionary letter. Paul, Paul's a missionary. I mean, it's, it's in the forest, kind of like the forest for the trees. We've been looking at individual trees, but if you stand out at the forest, the book of Romans as a whole, it's a missionary letter. Paul's a missionary. A missionary wrote it. And he wrote it from the mission field. Right? He's in Corinth. He had started down in, in Jerusalem and, and, uh, and moved up to Samaria and to Asia Minor and across all of Galatia and Sardis and Ephesus and across into, into Greece and into Europe and into Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth. And Paul is a missionary and he's writing this letter from Corinth. He's quite a bit down the road in his missionary work, years into it. He's a missionary on the mission field writing a, a letter to a mission church on the frontier of the mission work, Rome. Right, If you follow that track from Israel up to Asia Minor and through Europe, you know, the frontier, Rome, is that furthest city named where there's a church. So Paul is writing as a missionary to a young church on the frontier. And his hope is to go to that church. He wants to get to Rome. In chapter 15 of Romans, we'll get there someday. In chapter 15 of Romans, he says in verse 24, I hope to see you, you Romans, in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Right? So his hope is, here's this missionary in a mission town writing to the frontier mission church saying, I'm going to come visit you. And I, when I'm there, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm just passing through because I'm, I'm going where the gospel has not gone before. And you're going to send me. You're going to support me. You're going to help me. Chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse of this entire book, Paul says, in his first sentence, he declares, I have been set apart for the gospel. Set apart. God took me from wherever, and he set me apart for this thing, what? The gospel. It's an identity we all can and should own, and hope we will before we're done today. In verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, all of this is to bring about the obedience of the faith, to bring people to faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. I'm heading to Spain, and then, you know, the Lord is going to take it to the ends of the earth. This is his intention. Verses 14 and 15 of chapter 1, he says, I'm under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. 
I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Basically, he says, I want to preach the gospel to everyone everywhere. And I'm going to come to you, but I'm just passing through. He's set apart. He is eager to preach the gospel. And why is he so eager to preach the gospel? Because we know that the gospel is that which God uses, the means he has chosen to save people, to bring them to Christ. Chapter 1, verse 16, right after the last verses I just read, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The Jew first and then for the Gentile. That's everybody. You know, for the Jews, for Israel, where the Messiah came from, you know, there first, but then to everybody, to everybody on planet earth, to all the nations. It's the power of God. God gives the gift of faith when we are speaking the gospel. It is through the speaking of the gospel that God works in the hearts and minds of those who hear. Because what they respond to is this message about Jesus. They can't respond to this Jesus and believe in this Jesus if they don't know who He is and what He has done. And so as we speak that word, God opens their eyes to see Him for who He is. So Paul here is the first, he's really the first theologian. Everybody looks at the book of Romans and says it's a theological treatise. You know, it's, it's the hardest book in the New Testament that way. But we can't miss that he's not only the first theologian, he is the greatest missionary of all time. And these are married in one man. As they should be married in every Christian. Right? The Bible doesn't see, sometimes we think, oh, there are those guys who are doing theology or those sermons that deal with theology and then, and then there's mission. As if they're, they're somehow can be disconnected, where in Paul these things are, are married. He opens his most theological letter with his missional purpose, telling everybody about the gospel and his mission. He sees the preaching of the gospel to everyone everywhere includes, Jesus said, go and preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, and, and baptize them, and teach them everything. And so Paul is writing to baby churches and laying a theological foundation for the church, which is mission work. And it's necessary in every church. You need a theological foundation. For Paul, this is the first letter, the first thing he says to this little young church. I made this point from the beginning. We often come to Romans and think that it's hard. It's like college level. You know, for Paul, this is like ABCs. Young church, first thing you need to know, Romans. Healthy Christian mission is inseparable from healthy, rich theology, woven together. And so the whole book of Romans really is about God's plan. It's about God's plan for the world, like we see from the very beginning, the first few chapters, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. And chapters 4 and 5, we're seeing, you know, that justification is by grace through faith in Christ alone, right? Take Abraham, for example, you know, and then in chapters... Six through eight, it's all about how the gospel then changes us and sanctifies us. And in here in Romans 9 to 11, and we can't miss that that's where we still are. He's trying to link this understanding of the gospel for the world and the, the relationship between G, the, the Israel and the church and how the gospel is for both of them. So in verse 17, he says, faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. 
So we need to remember Paul is addressing in Romans 9 to 11, and that's why when you, you get this passage, we love and usually we'll just preach verses you know, 14 to 17 and skip the rest of it because it's theological and it's, and it's difficult. And how does it fit with where we are, which is one reason I'm trying to preach through so you, you get the context of where this beautiful passage comes in. That Paul is addressing the issue here of Israel's unbelief and the, and the faith of the Gentiles. And he's trying to make sense of it, and sense of it for the church. And for Paul, as he's been preaching God's sovereignty, and the sovereignty and salvation in chapter 9. And even here now, he is preaching human responsibility, and that they are not incompatible. And he is saying that even here, as Paul struggles with Israel's rejection of the gospel, he sees it as entirely their responsibility, and that that's what's going on. Paul's struggle, Israel by and large, is rejecting the gospel. Only a small number have laid the foundation of the New Testament church. If you remember in Romans chapter 9, verse 27, he says this, Isaiah cries out, cries out concerning Israel, though they, they are, the, the number of the sons of Israel are as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. We saw it in Elijah's time. We see it in Paul's time. In many ways, we see it in our time. There's a remnant. That is being saved. And so Paul makes it clear so many times in ways that the reason that Israel is cut off is that they don't believe in Jesus. That they are rejecting Jesus. The gospel, the word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. They have not all obeyed. That's what verse 16. And when he says they, you've got to remember in the middle of chapter 10 here where he's talking about Israel. And so he says, and they have not all obeyed. They have not responded to the gospel. As Isaiah says, verse 16, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Who's believed what he has heard? This is the, he's talking about Israel, only a remnant. Isaiah 53, that quote right there, who has believed what they have heard is Isaiah 53, 1. Everybody remember what is chapter Isaiah 53? It is probably the most messianic chapter in the Old Testament. There are, there are other great messianic books, promises and chapters that point out. But Isaiah 53, I'll give you verse 5, he says this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. What the New Testament says it's all about Jesus. And as the gospel is preached and, and people like Paul point to their own scriptures, to the Old Testament to say, there it is. God said He would send His servant and He would bear our sin in our place that we might be forgiven. They know. They've heard. That's what He says in verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. The gospel has been preached by the apostles. They were confronted by Jesus himself over many years. The gospel has been taken up after his resurrection. In verse 21 it says, But he says of Israel, All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Israel is responsible for its own rejection. They have turned away. They are disobedient and contrary. 
But at the same time as Paul is wrestling with this, it's painful when, when the people we love, you know, are, reject the gospel, right? It's painful. We long for people to know him. We, that's what we started. Our hearts long for them. They need Jesus. But at the same time, he's wrestling with the rejection of Israel. At the same time, it's wonder of wonders. Paul wrestles with the, the glory of the fact that the Gentiles are coming to faith. The Gentiles are believing. This is, for us, this is like old news. This is, for, for the Jews of this time, for somebody like Paul, an apostle, this was the most radical thing that they could even imagine. Like Israel was Israel. We are the chosen people of God. The Gentile, they called them Gentile dogs. Like the scraps of the table don't even go. Like there, there was God's people, then there was everybody else, the barbarians and the outside. And this, this idea that the Messiah, that the gospel, that the salvation of God, the fulfillment of His covenant and of His grace is being poured out on Gentiles was extraordinarily surprising. And so you see the beginning of the mission as you see in the book of Acts when Paul goes to places like Antioch and into Asia Minor or into Galatia and Ephesus and those places and they see Gentiles, you know, they're preaching to Jews and Gentiles and most of the Jews are saying no, but the Gentiles are coming in mass. And they had to have councils to talk through it. What should we do with these Gentiles? Should we let them in? You know, are they part of it? How can we, how, if God is saving them and filling them with his Holy Spirit and radically changing them and making them followers and lovers of Jesus, how can we do anything else? So all of a sudden you got a church that's Gentiles and Jesus. But they would sort of fell into it. They're like, okay, Lord, if that's what you're doing, and they had to have to, now do we have to get them circumcised? Like, or do they just get to come in? You know, like, well, I just get to come in. God is at work saving, surprising. Sometimes for us, we look at people and we think, you know, never them. But if you knew me when I was 17, you'd be like, never. I'm totally serious. Like, you would look at me, you would be like, he would never come to Jesus. That guy is so lost. My wife was my girlfriend in high school. Her teacher, one of her teachers told her to stay away from me because I was in trouble. Like, I was a known quantity in uh, the wonder of wonders. Like a brand out of the fire, does God work and save who you might least expect Him to save? Isaiah 49, verse 6, it says that my servant, and this is 49 to 53, these are the servant songs of Isaiah, where the servant who is going to bear our sin in chapter 53 is the same one here. My servant is going to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel, a remnant. But I will make you as a light to the nations, my salvation to the ends of the earth. And as the gospel penetrates and salvation reaches the Gentiles and as they come in, God says that at some level and at some time and in different ways, it's to provoke Israel to jealousy. That the, the Gentiles are, are in receiving the Jewish Messiah. They're, they're receiving the Jewish inheritance. The, the, the Spirit of God that was poured out on the temple is now being poured out on the church. Do you not know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? That, that all of these blessings that were for Israel are now, he says, for the nations. And, and as we receive the full inheritance, the Jewish nation, as he says in verse 19, didn't they understand? They did. I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. And with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And he's doing it because 
I am being found by those who didn't seek me. In verse 20. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. God is saving the Gentiles. And we see there that he is, he is showing himself and God's sovereignty is not incompatible with man's responsibility to bear and to respond as God enables us. So, as we have that context, this is what God is doing, but at the center of the book of Romans, at the center of this section about Israel's unbelief is the, is the power of the gospel to save everyone. Right, And so verse 13 introduces this whole section for everyone who calls. And this is radical. Even Gentiles, even barbarians, even slaves. If slaves call on him, this would be radical. Like, no, they're not even like people. But anyone who calls on the name of the Lord from across the globe, Jesus is for everybody. And through the centuries, Jesus has been doing this. He's been building his church against the gates of hell. And as I've said a couple weeks ago, billions of people, that right now on planet Earth, there are 2.2 billion, with a B, billion people who call themselves Christians. God knows who are his own. But 2.2 billion claim Christ. How is he doing it? How has he done it through the ages How is it being done right now across the globe in the southern hemisphere in places where the gospel is now thriving in South America and Africa and southern Asia and even China? How is he doing it? The answer is through the foolishness of preaching. 1 Corinthians 1.21, it says, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Seems, seems crazy that when I or you talk to that guy or woman at work or they, you, know, you talk to another kid at school and you tell them about this Jesus who was a God man, became a man and who bore our sin in his own body on a cross 2,000 years ago. He died as a substitute for us to bear our, the penalty of our sins so we could be forgiven and reconciled to God and be renewed in a relationship with God as our Father. In many ways, for you and I, I mean, and in, well, I guess I got biblical warrant to say it sounds foolish to many, to the unopened ear. Some Jewish guy executed for crimes 2,000 years ago. But God says it is through the foolishness of what we preach. Paul says, I knew nothing among you except the, the cross of Christ. And God is still doing it. It's what he did in my life. I heard the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And, I, and my heart said, yes. Eyes to see and ears to hear. To know that it is true. To know that I know. That God is still. And that's how He does it. That's how He's been doing it. It's how He is still. It's how it happened for me. Somebody preached it. I heard it. And my heart was open. And I embraced Christ like one of those Gentiles streaming in. The Gospel is the power to save anyone and everyone who believes. Who will call on the name of the Lord. Anyone whose heart is open to see their own sin. And I could see it. God gave me the grace to see it. That reputation of who I was. I knew when you hear who God is, you know that it ain't right. 
You know that you need a Savior. Anyone whose heart is open to see their own sin and to know their need to call on the name of the Lord for mercy will find Him gentle. That He's forgiving and merciful and that He is kind. But the gospel must be heard. Faith comes through hearing. Oh, I'll show them the gospel by my deeds. You can shore up your gospel. You can give your gospel credibility. You can, you, you can in a sense, yeah, do that credibility work by your life. But I'll tell you now, if you don't tell them who Jesus is, how can they believe in him whom they do not know? And how would they know him unless someone preaches Christ? Not good deeds. Be good, be nice. It doesn't save anybody, unfortunately. We must, it must be heard. And when it is heard, in that human-to-human exchange, life-to-life exchange where someone speaks it, God the Spirit meets God's Word in a heart and creates life. It's how He's chosen to do it. It said it pleased God. 1 Corinthians 21, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. It pleased Him. That means it was, it just, it was his, what He decided how He wanted to do it. It is God's way. It pleased Him to do it this way. And it's how it's done. It's how it's always been done. And it doesn't happen unless the gospel is heard. And so Paul asks these rhetorical questions. I love, you know, we all love 14 and 15. And you've, most of us have heard it many times. It's a series of rhetorical questions. Paul doesn't pause to, to give any answers. He just asks them and piles them up, sort of like a wave mounting on the shore, to break in this unavoidable conclusion of what he is saying, that these questions reach you to the point where you're like, yes, send them. <laughs> Right? So he, he asked the question, how then, verse 14, are they going to call on him whom they have not heard, believed? And how are they going to believe in him if, if they've never heard? And how are they going to hear if someone isn't preaching it? And how are they going to preach it unless somebody is sent? It's irrefutable logic ending in how beautiful are those, the feet of those who are sent who preach the good news. How beautiful those who go and tell someone. So simple and so obvious. Unless God's people tell other people the message, the gospel, the word of Christ, no one will hear and no one will believe. Why? Because God's chosen to do it this way. It's not because God couldn't do it another way. It's not because God's not sovereign. It's just because God chose to do it this way. And verse 17 just says it as simply as that. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing through the word of Christ. Send somebody to say the word of Christ. And so the beautiful feet, verse 15, I just love that image. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. You know, beautiful. Why feet? 
Why not a beautiful mouth or lips? You know, I don't know, or beautiful, but how beautiful feet is the whole idea of a messenger, right? It's somebody coming with good news. The city's attacked and reinforcements are coming. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news. Help is on the way. Somebody whose idea of the feet are, are going, are coming with the message, a messenger. How beautiful is the messenger who speaks the word of Christ to someone who doesn't know about him. It's through those who go and preach that God works salvation. Craig was saying it last week in his sermon. The temptation, the danger to the church in our day to add to the gospel, to champion some other message. I think it's just as much to add to the gospel as to become so absorbed in championing some other message that we simply neglect the gospel because we're telling people, I've had so many intense conversations where people want to tell me things, and it's not about Jesus. Right? We have so many messages right now, so many things that seem so important and have, and have occupied the church in terms of championing causes and things. And somewhere in the middle, I'm just I'm not saying there's not a place to, to, for some of that, but the, the point is, There is a message that only you have been given. Nobody else. It's the church of Jesus Christ that preaches Jesus Christ. Nobody else. That that is our job. If faith comes by hearing the word of Christ, then the world needs to hear that word from you and from me, from the church. It needs to be that which rings clear and loud above, above everything else. Our hope. Whatever other ideas we may have, our hope in life and in death is in Jesus alone. The obvious question this morning then is, have you called on the name of the Lord? That's always the first line. How can you preach Christ to someone else? If if your heart has not called on the name of the Lord to be saved, to ask Him to be your Savior, to believe on Him and who He is, and, and, and to call on His name is to call on Him to be your Savior. That what He did, He did for you. To be your Lord and your Savior. If you've never reached out and invited Christ, asked Christ to save you and to be your Lord and your King and your Savior, then today is the day. Don't let it end without doing what He says so beautifully here. Everyone who calls on the name will be saved. What we also see is we look to apply this so many clear. First, it's clear the church's responsibility here to support and to send missionaries. There are a lot of places in the Bible you can go that this whole enterprise, when we ask you to give above and beyond your tithes to our, our mission program, our global outreach program, like that we're, we're, we believe this is the biblical enterprise of the church. That we are called to, to do it. We have a budget of 100 to $120,000 that is purely supporting mission work in our community and around the world. We'd love to support more missionaries. We have people asking us almost every week, can you support me? I want to go here. I want to go here and preach the gospel. I'm on my way here. Will you support me? And most of the time, we're like, well, we're out of money. Like, our, our, our budget's full. You know, we're committed with what we have. But if money comes in, you know, we would love to not only meet these needs, but grow our mission program I would encourage you, the only way money goes to missions is if you write in your memo line the amount of money or however you give your money, you designate it to global outreach. We do encourage you to do that above and beyond your tithe. But we're, we're called to support. 
Like I've heard, and I think that it's true, I heard it said along the way, there are two kinds of Christians in the world. They're givers and they're goers. Right? Some of us are called to go. When it says someone has to be sent, that might be you, and I wouldn't rule it out. God may be speaking to your heart. There may be some here who God would raise up to go. And you have a heart for it. God has given you the courage for it, and the church wants to support you in it. But if you're not going, I believe according to the Scripture, then the rest of us are senders, supporters, or givers, because this is the call. How will they hear? If we are not sending. And so the church supports. Paul said it when he's going to come to Rome and on his way to Spain. And I expect you to support me. The established church supports the missionary to go plant new churches. But my friends, let me say the most important application in this text. I don't know if it's the most important. Another really important application of this text is to you. Because you are, when we start combining you together with the first service and the church down the road and down the road and across town and around the world, you are a literal army of voices. You're an army of voices. Beautiful feet. And the call here to be sent is for all of, all of us in John 17, 18, Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, Father, so I have sent them into the world. I've sent them, not just to here or to there, but into the world. Go and make disciples of all nations. Those, that's a call for every Christian. If God has not taken you home yet, and if you're here this morning, pretty sure you're still here this morning. If you're still here this morning, then, then that is your call, that is your job. If he's left you here, the number one reason is to have an army of voices preaching Christ more than anything else. It's not for the enjoyment of this life per se. You know the next one's better, right? So, like, he's having to slum it here for a while to preach Christ. Listen to 2 Corinthians 18 to 20. You know the verses, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Right? If you're in that category, he's reconciled you to God. He's reconciled us to himself. And then what? He gave us a ministry of reconciliation. The same reconciling we had with the Father through the forgiveness of our sins by faith in Christ. He's given us, he says, the, the ministry of reconciliation. That is that in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's trespasses against them. God is forgiving people in Christ. Right? This is the gospel. He's given us this ministry and then he taps it off with entrusting us the message and therefore we, all those who back in the first part through Christ have been reconciled to the Father, that, he's, that we are his ambassadors. As though God is making his appeal through us. It's, the, it's, it's foolish in some ways. God is making his appeal to the world through people like you. And when you speak it, God is faithful to his word and it shall not return void. And that God saves people. God is at work. And we are his ambassadors. He's, he's entrusted to us a message and nobody else is going to preach it. If you don't, if we don't, 
The world is lost. They need Jesus. Let me just leave you with that image of the beautiful feet, an army of beautiful feet. How beautiful in the mountain of those. That you would be an army of beautiful feet. That it would be said of you, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring this good news to a world in darkness who needs to hear it. How beautiful you are. Paul's first sentence described himself as set apart for the gospel. Are you, I would have this image just capture you, this idea that God has set you apart in the midst of the world and everything else you're doing. But first at the top of whatever else you are and do, He has set you apart as an ambassador for the gospel. He has sent you. Isaiah in chapter 6, verse 8, he says, God says, you remember in his calling, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah's answer is, here am I, send me. Pray that you will spend some time with your Lord, thinking through the calling and the gospel and the word and the image of being set apart and coming to the place in your own heart, fully and truly saying to him, here am I. Send me to my neighbor, to my family, lost family members, to people around me. Make me a light in the darkness. Will you pray for opportunities? Pray that God would open doors and then watch for those opportunities and step through, you know, using wisdom and using God's grace and his patience and kindness and gentleness. We're praying for and looking for taking advantage of opportunities to speak the name of Jesus. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. Would you capture our imaginations with this beautiful picture of feet that are sent with the message of the gospel, the power, your power, for the salvation of all who will believe. Oh, would you make us bold? Give us vision and passion and use us as you have used your church through all of history to bring light to the nations, salvation to the earth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.